Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Stephanie Hubka. I'm the 2023 Vice President of Membership and Outreach and a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. I'm usually joined by my co-host, Christina Eanes, who is not with us today. She's our Vice President of Marketing and Communications, but we do have Helena Hodges as our producer, and she is our chapter's Vice President of Finance and Operations. And for this episode, we are absolutely thrilled to be welcoming Drew Dudley. Welcome, Drew. I'm thrilled. Any day you can be a member of a pod squad, count me in. I know. I know, right? It's one of the best volunteer gigs out there. We've been very lucky to call this home for um, many, many episodes now. But we are thrilled that you are here. We're going to be talking about everyday leadership. Before we get into it, and I I have a tendency to just jump in because I get excited about these topics, I would love it if you would tell our listeners a little bit more about you. Sure. I am an excellent example of someone who went away to university planning on writing papers about the world for the rest of their life. And I got involved in a charity campaign to try to impress a girl. Uh, that didn't work out, but I ended up running the national chapter, the entire charity that raised about a million dollars annually to support the work of Cystic Fibrosis Canada. And that oh, made wow. me realize that, you know what? I don't want to write papers on the world. Engaging in it is so much more rewarding. And what I fell I in love that. with was working with groups of people to accomplish things. It usually was fundraising, but I learned down the road that it wasn't fundraising that I loved. It was mobilizing people towards a common goal is as cheesy as that sounds. I liked working on things together with people and in doing that and in running the national uh, charity, I was spotted by the Dean of students at the university of Toronto who said, I want you to come and build our leadership program. I did that for about a decade, decided to leave about three days before I got to, I was invited to give a speech on a Ted stage. And I got to tell you, if you're looking to switch directions in your career, get a Ted talk to go viral very quickly, right after you quit. (laughs) And so that really worked out well for me. And sure enough, for the past 15 years or 13 years, I guess, I've been traveling around, mostly speaking and writing, talking about what leadership means to individuals, to their organizations and to their communities. So it has been a ride that looks nothing like it was supposed to. Oh my gosh. And was this the TED Talk with the lollipop moment? Was that the one? This was. The funny thing was, I had never used the term lollipop moment before that day. <laughs> and now it is, I will never escape being the lollipop guy. But yeah, it's called Everyday Leadership or the Lollipop Moment. It's such a wonderful thing to be known for, though. I mean, it's such a wonderful concept. And we'll make sure we link to the video in our show notes. For anybody who hasn't seen it, it's well worth the watch. Plus, I think, you know, it's it's probably going to tie in a little bit to our conversation since we are going to talk a little bit about what leadership is. And I know when we talk about leadership for teams and especially within organizations, we're often talking about it in the context of the people who are directly tasked with guiding or directing people, the ones we might give the term leader to. But everyday leadership is connected to that concept, but it's actually quite a bit more than that. I would love it if you would give us a little bit of framing around the concept of everyday leadership. Sure. I think everyday leadership is 
Everyday leadership is a way at looking at leadership where the primary idea and the primary goal isn't power, it's empowerment. And I yeah. think that that's one of the, yeah. the powerful moments of interpersonal interaction, moments of compassion, moments of forgiveness, moments of recognition, moments of empowerment. And if we define leadership as existing in those individual moments of interpersonal impact, we open it up to a lot more people. I'm from the education system. So one of the things you realize is that Whatever examples you give people yeah. first to explain an idea, not only does it shape how they think about that idea, but it limits how they think about it. And when we teach leadership when we're younger or two young people, it's always about presidents and prime ministers and scientific groundbreakers and people who conquered empires and supposedly straight white men. And that has shaped the way generations of people have seen leadership. They've equated it with power and titles and influence. Mm which means huge swaths of our society, either because they can't or they don't want to engage in that type of leadership. And so everyday leadership says that these things that we have diminished by calling them the little things, moments of compassion and kindness, we call them the little things and they're not little. They're the biggest and most powerful things we yeah. do. But the fact that everyone can do them makes people say they're not, they can't be powerful because power in many people's minds is not something that can be distributed widely. But the ability to create how I treat you today, and we've had a blast already, you know, before yeah. this went on, how I treat you today has a much bigger impact on how you're going to feel today than anything the president <laughs> of the United States we does do. or anything the CEO of a company is going to do. And yet, we don't see those moments as powerful. We call them the little things. We've been taught that. And everyday leadership right. is a recognition that most of the leadership on this planet is coming from people who won't call themselves leaders. Yeah. And I think that if we can make people realize that when they create these powerful moments, that is leadership, what uh -huh. we're doing is we're empowering a lot more people to choose to do those things. The things that make you feel good when you do them, they're the stuff you do most frequently. And when we don't let ourselves feel good about creating moments of leadership, what we do is we pull leadership out of our lives, communities, yeah. organizations, and the planet. And we need it. We need it bad. It, we really do. And in fact, you use the word limitation in there. And I don't think I've ever really considered that concept and its connection or how it might impact what it can mean to lead. Just the idea that you might hear a definition or see a model that you then accept to be what leadership sh could or should look like, that then limits you to broaden your understanding of it or, or even your practice of it in real life. I mean, it, it actually reminds me of something we talk about quite a bit in talent development, which is, you know, when we're training, there's the idea of training on things called soft skills, which a lot mm -hmm. of us are starting to move away from as far as that term. I know my preferred term there is essential skills. Thank soft you. Skills, I, I hate soft skills. I, like, that it term? drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. It's It drives me crazy for a lot of reasons. And probably the biggest one is really related to what you were just sharing. When you're thinking about these kinds of skills, they are critical for all of us. And in fact, your best work your, your most important moments are going to drive from those skills as opposed to any of the technical skills that might also be relevant or important to your job. But we diminish them with these titles and we diminish them with that idea that all of us should be able to do this or it's just understood that you should be able to do this and therefore we let that take away from it. So I just, I love the point that you make. I think that is just absolutely critical. Yeah. Language is so now, powerful. It is. 
It is. It, it's one of the most important things we've got. And, you know, those words really do matter. And, you know, speaking of words, I know you also authored a book and it's called This Is Day One. I would love to hear you tell us a little bit about what that means. What is day one? What does it look like to create a day one? Yeah, the book is titled after this combination of leadership theory that I was teaching at the university and real life experience. If you really want to boil the day one concept down, it goes to this. And some people out there will recognize this concept because they've been to the same meetings I've been to. But the day one (laughs) concept that its core says, if you want to accomplish something incredibly difficult, what you need to do is figure out what specific most important behavior needs to be non-negotiable every day. And then you have to make a Mm. commitment to that behavior. For me, I am powerless over alcohol, step one. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I learned in recovery, you don't want to have a drink for the rest of your life. You must choose not to have a drink today. That is a non-negotiable behavior. And it's the only one. Like strip everything else away from that extremely difficult process. The most important thing to do every day is make the decision not to have a drink. And then treat every day of the rest of your life as if it is your first day of recovery. I argue that anything difficult, including a leadership voyage, starts the same way. You say, here are the non-negotiable behaviors that are going to be a part of every day of the rest of my life. Those behaviors are established based on your values, which we help people surface. And that is how you move forward with your leadership by acknowledging that leadership's not in the big stuff. It's in the consistent stuff. And if you do ordinary acts with extraordinary consistency that changes people, it changes organizations. So the day one concept is actually drawn in large part, not from leadership theory, but from 12 step programs. Uh, I'm a guy who is recovered, uh, you know, is in recovery from alcoholism. I dropped a hundred pounds at one point in my life. I've lived with bipolar. All of these are things that involve you saying, here are the behaviors that, that can't be negotiated every single day. Every day, your life's going to be wildly different, but this has to stay the same. And by approaching it as the day one or as day one, you can't rest on your laurels of what you've already accomplished. And you also don't get overwhelmed by how much there is still to do. For me, if, yeah. if you look at the fact that I hope there's a thousand more, 3,000, 4,000 more days in my life, maybe more. And yeah, <laughs> to, many more. <laughs> to, to make a really difficult choice 4,000 more times is enough to make you quit today. So you don't worry about how many more times you worry about this time. And I've tried to adopt that with the concept of leadership. Identify your values, identify the behaviors that are associated with them and make them non-negotiable every day. And we teach a psychology based process to do it. That's what the book's all about. That is a genuinely powerful way to reframe what sounds, I mean, first of all, I think what you've described are some of the biggest challenges that people can face. And you faced a number of them yourself. So for anyone who's listening, who's thinking about a tough problem that they've encountered, something that has required a lot of consistent effort over a long period of time, I think that's very relatable. And I think it's also very relatable in the context of the workplace, because many of us are dealing with regular issues, regular challenges. And I would even think that this sounds like something that could be applied to teams. For example, when working with a team, you may have personality conflicts, work style differences, things that present a consistent challenge to you. Do you see that there are teams that really benefit from taking this day one approach or or bringing that mentality into the work that they do? 
Without a doubt. And I think the biggest reason is because the process itself demands something essential for teams, which is coming to yeah. a common language. And so if you're going to embody let's say integrity is the most common one, but I don't think integrity is a value. I think it's what emerges from living values. So let's say accountability. Accountability is yeah. a really popular value for teams. In order to use the day one process, you have to be able to finish this sentence. Accountability is a commitment to. And the fact that everyone on the team has to understand what that value means, means you eliminate a common source of conflict, which is you're delivering your version of accountability but it's not mine. Yeah. And so right. when I tell you that you're not, and you say you are, we're both right. And that's a challenge when two people are right, simply because we haven't communicated it properly. So I find yeah. teams work it really well. Every time I get together with a team, I give them a list of 12 values and I ask them to go home and rank them from one to 12 in terms of which they would prioritize, recognizing that they're right. all good. Then what you yeah. do is you put your team together and you give them 20 minutes and say, come to a consensus ranking of these and where people explain why this value is number three for them and is number 11 for their colleague. That also indicates to you that there may be a disconnect down the road. And every conflict is easier to deal with when it's a hypothetical one that might happen as opposed to you're in the throes of it. Because when it when it's hypothetical, you can create a solution process. If you try to create a solution process once the problem exists, both sides think that the yeah. solution is being offered to come up with a certain result. That's why you have to do it before the problem even exists. So I see teams use this. And in order right. to say we're going to live values every day that are non-negotiable, you have to have a common definition for what they mean. Oh, yeah. I, and I think that that is exactly where a lot of teams can start to fall down a little bit before they really get a lot of good work done. When you try to live into values that haven't been articulated or agreed upon, it's very difficult to understand what success is actually going to look like. You're certainly not going to have that common definition. And I think that's where probably a lot of conflict can start to come into play. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's and, and that's really where it is, especially when someone thinks that they're being told that they're not doing something and they genuinely believe that they are. I, I do right. one simulation once where one team is cheating without knowing they're cheating. And the realization of what it feels like to be accused of something that you 100% don't think is true and then discover mm -hmm. at the end that everyone who said you were was telling the truth, it's an eye opener. And so- oh, yeah. It's understanding that blows stuff up. It's not the actual facts or words that we're trying to agree on. It's our understanding of what they mean. It is right. not definitions that mess us up. It's meanings. Right. No, I, I absolutely love that. And I think that it, it's a really important place to begin, especially if you're working with a newly formed team. Although I would imagine that there's space for existing teams to bring that in, especially if they hit these points of, you know, whether they are conflict, disagreement, just, you know, it's difficult to move forward. Bringing this conversation in probably would be a great first step to reframing and getting back on a productive work path. That's fantastic. And it's also a really great recap. Like yeah. the longer a team works yeah. together, the less time we actually spend communicating because we become so good at anticipating that sometimes we stop refreshing conversations that we should be having. And let's yeah. face it, you work with somebody for three years, who they are three years in is different than who they were. Like, look at any one of us right now. Right. Who we were five right. years ago is totally different than we are now. Even if we work <laughs> together the same, who we are, what our lives are, are different. And that, of course, informs how we interact with each other. 
Yeah. No, and you know, it, it makes a lot of sense too, especially in terms of how you may think you know someone, but that doesn't necessarily give them the space that they have earned to grow, to change, to be better than they were yesterday or to be different than they were yesterday, whatever it might happen to look like. One of my favorite ways of getting teams to get to know each other and people to develop their own understanding of their wisdom is I ask them to share their edge of the bed advice with each other, which is if someone you love so much that you hope they have a better life than you lives at your house for 18 years. And on their last day, they ask you, what do I need to know? What advice, insights, failures, successes have most contributed to your happiness? Give me 15 of them. And you can learn so much about the people you work with by what life advice they would give or what professional advice they could give because behind every piece of advice are values. So every time someone gives me advice, I reverse engineer the values they're trying to teach me. And you learn a lot about each other that way. What I really love is it says to people, you are wise enough that I want you to share your wisdom. And people know they're good at their job. They can take pride in their job, but most people do not consider themselves wise. And I think that the more people we can show that they are, you want to talk about development, show someone that the stuff they know is worth teaching. That instantly makes somebody a little bit more secure in who they are. Well, that really sounds to me like it's it's recognition. It's recognizing somebody for who they are, what they offer. I mean, that's that's really a big part of leadership, too. Mm hmm. Yeah. And making them do it too. Absolutely. Like, I think a big part of leadership is making other people recognize their leadership. Like mm. leadership recognized is leadership created. And yeah, we spend so much time trying to develop new leaders. We'd be far better off doing a better job acknowledging and supporting the stuff that's already there. Absolutely. Right. I I think all of this is just so critical, especially for groups who have that traditional mindset as to what it looks like and what it means to be a leader. These are really, I don't want to say easy because I think that that takes something away, mm. but these are very approachable opportunities to consider how you can start to incorporate leadership into your work, into your practice. And as we start to wrap up, now we do have a couple more questions for you. We're not going to forget about our rapid fire questions, but I'm curious, are there any resources that you recommend? Are there any conversation starters that you recommend? Anything else that people should think about as they are considering their own approach to everyday leadership? I think the number one thing I I encourage people to do is to actually sit down and do your own edge of the bed advice and reverse engineer those values. Because when I ask people, what are the three values most important to you? They very rarely connect with the values that we surface through that exercise. So I ask people to do 30 of them and then we reverse engineer each one. You ask them for one to three values for each one. I encourage you all to do this. And what you find is that three to six of those values, when you tally them all up, come up much more frequently see than frequently than others. I think yeah. that understanding exactly what values we care about so that we can more actively engage them basically means you are planning to feel better about yourself every day, not through just some affirmations or looking in the mirror and saying you're good enough, you're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you, which is good, <laughs> like which does work, by the way. Sure. But it also gives you more <laughs> more actual real evidence that you matter. Because the fact is, if you want to start somewhere, everybody, ask yourself this, why do I matter? Mm. And 95% of the people to whom I pose that question can't give me an answer. So 
ask yourself that and ask the people who you work with that question because adults haven't been asked in years. And I think that once we can articulate that, we can plan for it. Right now, yeah. a lot of us hope to matter. We hope to lead. I think we got to plan to matter and plan to lead. There's a fundamental difference there. Hope is yeah. amazing. Hope should be fostered wherever you can, but it's a terrible strategy. So we've got a plan. And I think that's key. I love that you said that. I appreciate that you you said that. I mean, I think for a lot of people, it can be easy to forget that they do matter. It's crucial to know that you matter, to know that you make a difference, to know that you have the capacity to make a difference in the way that you want to make a difference. So I I so appreciate that you brought that to us. And I'll say, thank you so much. I'll say this though. It's not just about having the capacity. I want to show that people actually do it. Like right yeah. now we're like, you yes. matter because you can do this and you want to do that and you can do this. And when I ask people like, why do you matter? Like, cause I try to do this. I'm like, yeah. no, you do it. That's why you matter. You matter right. because you do it. And if we can, that's one thing that, that the day one process does is it says, I'm going to give you evidence every day that you matter. Cause that yes. changes you when you have that evidence and not enough oh. people can go home from every day at work saying, this is why I matter today. And if we only give people the opportunity to feel like they matter every like once a quarter or once every time a project is done, yep. there's no momentum in between the big pro projects. Then you have to find a way to keep us going forward because like five-year plans are great, but five-year momentum is way more important. Absolutely right. Yeah. And especially if you're thinking about things like performance reviews, which for some people are the one time they really get feedback. And a lot of times what they're taking away from that is negative feedback or constructive feedback. They're not necessarily hearing the positives. It's hearing that you can matter, you do matter, and you you do have the ability and are actually making a difference that needs to be heard daily. I feel like you have probably changed lives in just the brief time that we had today. It's that self-talk component. Oh. We just don't necessarily give ourselves space to consider that. And I think that's what you brought to us today. I, I have loved this conversation. I am actually a little disappointed that we have to start moving into rapid fire. I could talk to you about this all day. I mean, this is... This is really, truly Trust empowering. Me, I can talk about it all day. I have so, no doubt that you can. <laughs> and so uh, you'll know where to find answer, me. <laughs> so let's see how we do this. Okay. I am, I have faith. And by the way, I do think that these can sometimes be the hardest of the questions we ask, but we're going to ask them anyway. So that's what we've got. We've got three rapid fire questions for you. So no more than 60 seconds or so to answer. Whatever comes to mind for you is going to be great for us. First question for you. Give us one book that everyone must read and why. I'm legally contracted to have to say this is day one by Drew Dudley. Uh, now that I've gotten that legal, <laughs> that, that legal obligation to my publisher out of the way, I'm honestly going to say um, good to great. I think good to great is the greatest business book ever written. If for no other reason, than there's something about a hedgehog in there that everyone should remember. Yeah. I'm not going to give it away, but uh, good to great by Jim Collins is the best business book ever written. Absolutely a worthwhile read. Yep. Fully, fully support you on that. Fully support you on both books as and, a matter and of fact. Search so for meaning. Good answers. <laughs> Ooh, that's another yeah. one. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. Good choices. I have high hopes for our next two questions. So second question for you is what is one tool that you can't live without? My body. And so... I need to take better care of it. And I need to never lose sight of the fact that it's the most extraordinary tool I've ever been given. It's like, 
it's like the iBody 2046 at this point. I'm on the 46 iteration. And every year the screws get a little bit looser <laughs> and the screen gets a little bit darker. But my body is the best tool that I couldn't live without. And <laughs> I need to take better care of it. And we all should. I, it, we only get the one. That's right. The phones come and go, but the body, you've really only got the one. So I think that's a phenomenal. Choice. I'm the I drew 46. I will right, remember that from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm i I'm going to have to start using that. I'm going to have to start having iterations yeah. and versions as I continue to, you know, fine tune and shape and all the important stuff. So I like this. I like this a lot. Last question for you for today. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Never start a land war in Asia and never mess with a Sicilian when there's death on the line. Um, but let's be serious for those of you. <laughs> I, uh, I was once good choice. I was once told that only hurt people hurt others. And if I want to be the man that I want to be one day, I have to let go of the things that hurt me or I'm going to carry them around. And one day I'm going to use them as a weapon against someone I love. Uh, only hurt people wow. hurt others. Uh, because you carry your pain around and you use it as a weapon and it's almost always against people you care about very rarely against those you don't. Ugh. So when I was told only hurt people hurt others, I didn't realize it was the best advice I'd ever been given till well after I was given it like hours later when you all of a sudden are sitting there and you realize that was a 19 year old girl who just told me that a refugee who had seen her parents killed in front of her didn't know where her grandparents were. And she stood right there in front of me and said, I have to let go of the pain because I'll use it as a weapon against other people. And to me, I'd like to live like that. Wow. That it actually, and honestly, as you frame it that way, and even with that visual, I think that's going to be a hard one for any of us to forget. And it's so true. I mean, that pain is heavy, but it also can very quickly be used in a way that you'd, you'd actually rather not use it. You'd rather not have that option. Yeah. That's beautiful advice. She was an extraordinary human. Wow. I, that's it. And it's, it's amazing the people you connect with in the course of a lifetime who have these stories and these examples that they can offer to you that then change who you are and how you approach life. Someone I mean, that's is, incredible. it's often the more cruelty someone has subjected them to. And I heard a great commencement address that said, if you want to find the smartest person in the room, mm. often look for the kindest. If you want to find the biggest idiot in the room, look for the one who's cruel. And I, I just, I thought, what a powerful way wow. of just laying it straight out there. Often the kindest person in the room is the smartest. And so if you want to seem smart, Absolutely. stop talking and seem kind, yeah. which is different than nice. Nice is what you say. Kind is how you act. Yep. Absolutely right. Yeah. Kindness wins every time. I hope. Every single time. And if it doesn't, you still play I, I the game it. better. <laughs> You, that's right. That's right. At the end of the day, you might come out ahead and you know, honestly, whatever you can do that makes a difference, a positive one is, is worth the, uh, the time and effort. Drew, this has been such a fantastic a conversation. Blast. I am so grateful that you were here, that you joined us and, uh, that you've shared so much with our listeners. Just thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the honor of, of asking questions. It means the world to me. Well, and of course, a big thanks to all of you in our community for joining us as well. And before you go, we have a message from our produ producer, Helena Hodges. Our chapter has so much to offer. Go to dcatd.org and choose our community 
to learn more about our communities of practice, the CPTD study groups, and peer coaching opportunities. Check out dcatd.org for upcoming chapter events, learning programs, member benefits, and so much more. <laughs>